kick back and get raw with us. From the latest hip hop beats, Basil. to social issues that cripple the black community, all from the perspective of a young, strong black woman. A strong black woman. And now your host, Rita. Welcome back, everyone, for another episode of According to RP on WJMS Media, powered by Black Ivy Media. It's your girl, Rita Pierre, your host. And as always, I hope you guys are striving, thriving, and surviving in these streets. So I hope you guys had an amazing weekend and are gearing up to have an even better week. We are at the tail end of the month of March. Guys, the month is over. April is around the corner, literally. I hope that you guys enjoyed Women's History Month this year. At Black Ivy Media, we have been posting women from across the world, everyday women from across the world who are phenomenal black women doing their thing in their respective fields. If you guys have not done so already, please head over to Black Ivy Media, our Instagram page, where you will see these daily features. We have been able to keep up (laughs) with, as of today, what is today's date? Today is the the 26th with 26 phenomenal black women. And we, we will continue until the last day of March to post a phenomenal black woman. And I am so excited that we were able to, to do this. You know, this is our third year doing it. And I feel like every year it gets better and better. And I just love the energy that I get from these women. I love the energy that I get from the community who are nominating these women. Um, You know, our black women are doing amazing thing, guys. And a lot of them are not getting the spotlight that they deserve. They are not getting the recognition that they deserve. Um, and you know, for me, it might not be the biggest platform, but I found that this was so important, um, for me to do not just, you know, for me, obviously, but for the community, I think it's so important for us to use our, our platforms to amplify others. And so I really do hope that you guys, um, take the time if you haven't done so already to go through our Instagram, to learn about these amazing women, follow them. Those who are selling products, purchase their products, get their services. These women are amazing. Um, the, they are phenomenal. And so, you know, um, as we are, I guess, at the tail end and we're closing Women's History Month, um, I hope you guys reflect on what women <laughs> contribute to this community, to the world, how many of us are undervalued, you know, un- underserved, um, but that even with all of these negative, you know, things, these setbacks, you know, lack of recognition, um, lack of support, we're still rising and we are still killing it in the game. We are still living and being phenomenal. So round of applause to all of you women out there that are doing the damn thing each and every day, despite the obstacles, despite the pressures, despite all of the the stuff uh, that's going on in this world, you are still living your life phenomenally. So in keeping up with our, I guess, Women's History Month theme, um, and in I guess closing out this month with a bang, we have an amazing guest by the name of Pepper Chambers. She is a writer, producer, author, all things 
creative. She's an educator. And she recently wrote a book that was just released on March 23rd entitled Harlem's Last Dance. And this book, in my opinion, exudes women empowerment. And I don't want to get too much into what's in the book because we do spend a, a good deal of time talking about it. But I think this was an amazing way to end Women's History Month by having Pepper um, one showcase her amazing book that she took time to write. I love highlighting our black authors, especially our black female authors. Um, But the conversation that comes out of this book, I think, is one that will resonate with many of you. You know, whether you are a man, whether you are a female, whatever, I think that this book definitely will resonate with you. There is something for everyone in this book. This book is is for the culture. Uh, it's by the culture. And I'm so excited that, you know, Pepper gave us the time, you know, gave us the opportunity to discuss her book and to showcase her book on our platform. So I don't want to get too much into everything because you guys know once I start, sometimes I give everything away. So I want to kind of (laughs) like hold back a little bit because I want you guys to listen to this episode. It's definitely entertaining. Um, I know you guys will definitely enjoy it. But before we get into the meat of the show, just another plug, guys, please remember to follow us at According to RP on Instagram at Black Ivy Media on Instagram. This episode with Pepper was video recorded. And so in the next week or so, you will be able to find it on um, our YouTube page at Black Ivy Media. So you definitely want to subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have not done so already, please subscribe to Black Ivy Media. There you will be able to catch the actual um, video interview. You'll just click on our playlist according to our P and you'll see all of our um, our video interviews. So excited for the new platform, for the new, I guess the new look. When, when you guys get there, you'll see what I'm talking about. Um, but without further ado, guys, um, we're on to the meat of the show. I'm here with my very special guest, Pepper Chambers. Pepper, please say hello. Hello. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here, Rita. It's just like very, very delightful. I just want you to know. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> We're always excited to have authors on the platform. I feel like in years prior, we haven't had as many. This year seems to be the year of the author. So really, really excited uh, to have you here to talk about, you know, your works and just to have just a general conversation about some of the themes in your books and how they interplay in today's society. So, so excited about this convo. Yes. So I want you to just start off by letting everybody know a little bit about who you are, where you're from, and what you do. Thank you. Okay, so I will say, so again, Pepper Chambers is my name, and I am literally a Midwestern girl. I'm from Wisconsin, Kenosha, Wisconsin, which ended up in the news badly a couple of years ago with the protests. <laughs> That's right. Right? It's so crazy that our small town, which happens to show up in so many movies, ends up 
in this intense moment, which maybe we'll talk about later. But so I am a Midwestern girl from Kenosha, Wisconsin, and I have had the pleasure of living um, in all these big cities in New York and LA, Chicago, and internationally in Prague. And uh, now I live in Chandler, Arizona as a suburban woman, suburban (laughs) married woman (laughs) with two dogs and a cat. (laughs) So that's like the outside of me, but internally I'm a writer, producer, and educator. And um, I write fiction, nonfiction plays, screenplays, radio plays, whatever I can get my hands on and whatever I'm feeling creatively is what I write. And, um, I produce theater and film and events if it comes to me and same with directing. So I've got a couple projects under my belt over my, I guess I'll say 25 years. I'll just say 25 year career as an entertainer. I started out in mutual investments, everyone mutual fund investing. (laughs) There's a theme here. I feel like there's a theme with some of my past guests who were like corporate compliance. Now they're in media. (laughs) You just get to a point, you're like, oh gosh, what's happened? <laughs> you make a shift. Yeah, okay. I love it. I love it. Okay. Thanks. So I know today we are going to talk um, a little bit about some of the books that you've written. Um, mm-hmm. So I want to kind of dive into that and then, you know, we'll see where the wind blows with respect love to the conversation. So <laughs> <laughs> that's wind, a sound effect. <laughs> So with your book, Harlem's Awakening, and you have the book Harlem's Last Stand, I want to kind of, and maybe we could take them in pieces, but what inspired you to write these these books? Because I mean, you know, the themes that are in them are very powerful. We're going to get into it. But I always like to know, like, what was the process? Like, how did you get to the point where you're like, I want to write these books? Yeah. Oh, I love this question because I love my characters and I love my books like because I, I love words. So what inspired me for, for Harlem's Awakening, which is the first book, was that I, I just think energetically I had this story about a young girl and I wanted to, I wanted to write a story that was that had characters in it that looked like me. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to have um I wanted to have villains that were black women and I wanted to have heroes that were black women. And I wanted the story to be about black folks. And I wanted to look at wealth around black people. And so those things were literally swirling around my head. And that goes to the question you asked about process. And I tend to get ideas like it'll kind of zap me or float around in my head. And then I start grabbing those ideas and I try to figure out, Ooh, what is the story? Like what's coming like what what am i feeling you know i'm very energetically feeling like weirdo person and so th- when i started to have those images i started to put them together into the story of a girl that's abducted and she has to figure out how to you know how to save herself and so um that's like how the the nugget of the story came and in between there which we'll talk about is that i i was able to which sounds crazy. I was able to produce a show, like a visual show of this story before I was able to finish a written book. So from that, the story I just talked about this young girl, she's in, I created a 1940s dinner theater show that is about a girl looking for love in all the wrong places. And without sounding too confusing, I knew that the story was going to be a trilogy. So the show was the third story the third act of this of her story but the Mm -hmm. books 
are the first and second. So I say all of that because my process, I was like, "Mm, I don't think I'm going to be able to write this book, but I love theater and I know I've got this story. So let's go. So that's how this, this thing, this whole thing came to be. I love it. I love it. I, yeah, I, I always am curious about like the process because you always, off, you know, you hear people say, I was walking down the street one day and it just came to me. Yes. <laughs> and it's really yes. like that because as somebody who also is like a creative when it comes to whether it's events, topics for shows and, you know, whenever the spirit moves me to actually write, it's one of those things I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm like, whoa, yeah. this is an idea. I got yes. to get it down on paper. Absolutely. Absolutely. And weirdo, like there is a, there is a story from the 1800s of a woman who was gassing people and killing people. And even that I made a file. I like the mad gasser and I will write about her one day, but it, I was, I think it was in the newspaper or something and things wow. just hit you. The sparks come. Yeah. They come. I love it. I love it. So your books, they feature strong female characters who are black. Yes. Um, or women of color, right? Yes, and yes. So why is it so important for you to write about these characters? And how do you think they challenge the common stereotypes in the media? Uh-huh. Well, I'm going to take this backwards if I could, the common stereotypes. So there are there is there are characters in my book called, called the Brown Bettys. And I created these Brown Bettys as a not a backlash because that sounds negative, but a, a my version of how I wanted to be seen as a black woman. So I created the Brown Bettys in uh, right around 2004. And again, they're the central characters in the book along with Harlem. And around in 2004, I say this in a funny way, black women, we weren't doing so well. It was a lot of, in my opinion, in my opinion, we had a lot of, um, the video Vixen was very popular. The um, I felt that we did not have control of our image in a way that was um, sophisticated, in my opinion. So I'm not, I do not want to be disrespectful to anyone. So I really, really say according to how I wanted to be seen and mm-hmm. according to the type of stories that I wanted, I didn't feel that I was represented and I didn't feel like our story was being, uh, our story as Black women was being resem- re- represented in a way that was, Lovely. So that's where the Brown Bettys came out of. And then I created, you know, the story around them. And um, so that's how that came to be. And would you repeat the first part of the question? Because I really like went back to 2004 just now. (laughs) (laughs) So the first part of the question is, is basically talking about how, you know, we've identified that there are a lot of strong women, strong black women, strong women of color, um, in, you know, in, in your books, like these are the mm-hmm. characters. And so kind of, why do you find it to be so important to depict yes. these, Thank these you. black women, women of color as strong? Yes, definitely. Thank you. The reason I wanted to depict them as strong, us as strong is because there were a couple of things I reading Zora Neale Hurston and Toni Morrison. And, um, even later in life, Susan Laurie, Susan Laurie Parks, this feeling of like, Oh my gosh, look at these worlds that these ladies created. I want to do that. Like I want to be a part of something that is is um like they they had the permission to do it. They they just did it, you know? Mm-hmm. And I say that again growing up as a young black girl in Wisconsin, I wasn't surrounded. We didn't have a lot of family around us. I was not surrounded by a lot of images of myself. And because I am this introverted sort of person, even though I seem extroverted, I my world is was small. And in terms of 
what was being fed. I love to read, but a lot of the things that I was reading were, you know, white folks and other and non-black folks. That's okay, but that's what was inside. And so right. it definitely pulled out this feeling of, I want to see me, like who am I? And and and, and what what just the imagination of of what I can look like. Mm-hmm. That's I what that. I wanted. Yeah. And I think it's so, it's so important, um, you know, as you're talking, I'm like, for us to see us as strong. And I know that there's a lot of discourse about this term, strong woman, correct, right? But in terms of like us being in power positions, being leaders, I think it's so important because growing up, you know, watching television, you know, all of the important women were white women. They weren't even women yes. like other other races. They were white women. And Always. so it's so important to to remind not just the next generation, but even ourselves that black women, women of color, we are powerful and we have, we have, you know, we have strength. So yes, absolutely. And and you've said it. And we're so lucky now, even the Facebook groups and the books, and there's so many things that are out there where people are finding information. They're able to highlight mm-hmm. our history. Whereas just, you know, 80s, 90s, we just didn't have it in the same way. So we yeah. felt very alone, felt like things didn't exist and we were only you know, we're only taught certain narratives. Yeah. So but we're changing that with. The- yes, we <laughs> are. So are you, we all are. Yes. Love that. So I want to talk about Harlem's last dance. This is yes. the upcoming book that is being released. Is it the 25th? 23rd. The 23rd. The 23rd is the release date. So I, so it hasn't, it hasn't hit the shelves yet guys, Not but yet. We are talking about it and we are going to obviously encourage you all to, to purchase it. But I want to talk about Harlem's Last Dance. Um, and it deals with the themes of, of passing sex work and human trafficking and things like that. And so yeah. how do these themes intersect with the experiences of Black women, both historically and I would even say contemporarily, mm. um, you know, in, in the times that we're in now? That's a great question. I think that, um, well, for me, I'll, I'll put it this way. So I, se- human trafficking and sex trafficking is, is that that is one of my biggest fears. And I tend to write about things that scare me. And there's this concept of, of these things happen to us and nobody writes about it. Or um, this is a broad way of getting to the question, but um, in the nineties, there was, the, uh, a, a man was murdering black children in Atlanta. I don't know if you know about that, um, but that stuck with me because they were black kids and I was a kid at the time. And I remember feeling like, oh my gosh, this is happening to us. And, and, and how does that matter? Do you know what I mean? Like it, it mattered that it, it that they were black children and it mattered that, that we were hearing about it. And there's this this thing like when we we know this when black women go missing, quote unquote, nobody cares. Right. And I I that bothers me. Like it just bothers me in my soul. And so with the book, I I wanted to bring up the topic to show that it's happening. You know, it is not the central theme of the top of the of the book, but it's something. It's it is an instance. Just like in our world, it's an instance. This stuff happens and we have to pay attention to it. I like that. Um, And I guess 
you know, without going into the second part of the question, I guess that is the message maybe that you're looking for, for the readers to kind of grasp is that it does happen. Cause yeah. I think that a lot of times we do gloss over these realities that take place every single day. And these are yep. things we should be reminded of because it happens. This happens and right in front of our faces. And so when I was living in Los Angeles, I was part of a, a, a play called Safe Harbor. And we learned a lot that that play was about trafficking. And so mm -hmm. through, um, uh, what is it called? Professionals. We learned about the industry itself. Mm -hmm. And, um, oh, I will tell you, in fact, in Los Angeles, I was at a cafe and I do believe that I witnessed someone being trafficked, not like plucked, but mm -hmm. that this person, they were waiting at the cafe and there was stuff going around. And I knew that I had to do something and I, it, I was terrified because you don't know who's watching. You right. don't know what this person is doing. So it, I, what I did is I talked to the person, to this young woman, and I asked if she needed a coffee, if she needed something. And she said, yes. And I knew that there was a person watching her. And then what I did is I went home and I got her something and I, I put, um, I got her just, I got her some tampons and I put the hotline number for the uh, sex trafficking in the tampon box. Mm. And I figured it's there if she needs it. And if that's what's happening, this is what's happening. Do you know what I'm saying? Like I, I get a loss for words because it's terrifying when you don't know exactly what's happening and when you feel powerless and you still want to do something right. when this trafficking is going on. And it's, it's so common. It is so right. common. And then I'm imagining, you know, there's like this, this idea where I, I want to help, but I also don't want to put myself in harm's way. Exactly. And, and the professionals will tell you, you can put yourself in harm's way. Like you really, I don't know the answer. I'm going to tell you that much, but <laughs> <laughs> awareness. Yeah. awareness is the answer. <laughs> it's tricky. It's tricky, right? It's yeah. tricky. Oh man. Yeah. yeah. So I know in your book as well, um, like you're emphasizing the importance of black women, empowerment, sisterhood, all things mm -hmm. that I love. Yeah. And so could you tell us a little bit more about why you believe these things are crucial for black women, um, especially when it comes to their survival and how they can cultivate healthy female relationships mm -hmm. in their lives? Because I don't know about you, but I always hear this, 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 I don't know, rhetoric that women can't get along. Women can't work together. Women are catty. It never oh. works out. And it's so counterproductive, I think, to where we are trying to go as a community in terms yes. of sisterhood. So talk to me a little bit about, you know, these themes that are in your book and why, why it's so important for us to, yeah. kind of, you know, adopt that. This topic is huge to me. And I, and there's two sides to it. For one, I didn't grow up with any sisters. So I always had to go outside to get that sisterly bond. Mm -hmm. So whether it was from my track teammates or gymnastics teammates, I felt like I, that's where I got it from. So I want to say that's where my base came from. It didn't come from internal as a, having a sister. So, um, then taking it to the context of the book and the Brown Bettys. So because we had the, um, the stage show, there were the Brown Bettys as the characters, the actors, and those four women became my heart. You know, they still are 20 years later. And I think that the reason our friendships work and, and is because we value, we value trust. We value um, 
what what's coming to me is that feeling of of iron sharpens iron. You know, mm-hmm. we we value what it means to help one another and to be there to show up for someone. We value what it means to uplift. We're not there to. None of us are coming from this place of bringing people, someone down or, or this, this, this thing and, and going deeper into that. I, I wonder why some people operate in that world. Mm. And I think, is it trust? Is it, um, is it a feeling of self-worth? Is it like, what are, what are these little nuggets that want to pull that, that really have other women wanting to pull other women down? And I think it's an individual thing. And I think that energetically, if I'm being honest, I think that energy attracts the same energy. Right. So I think that the very people that we see complaining on Facebook about, well, this happened and this, well, they're, 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 they're swirling around in that energy and they're collecting the people that are going to be like, yeah, 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 you're right. That happens to me all the time. I don't go into that world. I don't believe in it. I, it makes me feel bad. It literally makes me feel icky. And as a result, I don't attract that. I attract, I attract people who are really literally into uplifting one another. And I think that that is, I think that that's the answer to it in a way. I mm-hmm. think that this is an energetic, um, feeling shift pull i don't know the right word but that's that's where that comes from and i believe that we have to be on this in the beautiful space of energy in order to create an empowerment between women like that's just i can't say it more plainly you yeah. know yeah i totally agree with you there i definitely think that the energy um component is so critical because I, I think about my, my support systems, my, yes. my women, my women rocks, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Various chat groups with various women um, <laughs> in different, you know, we, maybe we went to school together, we worked together um, and some of them overlap, but at the end of the day, you know, they each, each of these groups provide so much value. Each of these women in there are genuinely looking for, um, healthy exchanges. No one yes, is I love that. looking for toxicity. So yes, you know, it's, it's just this, um, this system of, of just uplifting one another, pouring into each other, you know, yes. being a shoulder, being an ear. And I think that, you know, as much as I want it, the others have to want it too. And they have to want absolutely. it from me. Yes, absolutely. And I think of what, as you were talking, I was thinking about having a common goal like maybe that's something as well. Like we, we have a common goal of we, we know we're going somewhere. We know that we want Mm -hmm. more things for our life or, you know, however that translates, whatever that goal translates into. But I think that's something about it as well. Like I want, I want the best for you. We just met and you, you know that I already want the best for you and you want the best for me. Otherwise we would literally wouldn't be here. So there's, there's something about that. Is that taught? Do you think, is that like, did that come from our family or surroundings or do you think it became, it's individual or, you know, I think that, I think that it's, it's many different things. I think that in, you know, it can be taught. Um, 
you know, I can think, you know, I can think of maybe certain households where that is a teaching, you know, love others mm-hmm. as you love yourself, yes. um, you know, be authentic and genuine and also having these teachers, whether they're parents or guardians mimicking the behaviors, you know? Yes. Um, but I also know that many of us did not grow up in these, I guess, quote unquote, nurturing environments and these environments that would teach us both in words and in actions, how to engage. Yes. So I think that with some of us, um, it was something that was innate in us mm. to want to like, to want, like that's this magnetism inside of us. Yes. We're searching for our tribe and I think so too. You know, maybe it wasn't cultivated, you know, the way that it needed to because of our environments that kind of, you know, put, you know, kept us down. Yes. I think the moment we got to a point of maybe freedom, Mm-hmm. To an extent, from mm-hmm. these from these maybe toxic environments that were keeping us down, um, and I think maybe once we gained awareness, it and the awareness could have been you know uh, somebody else who was like I you know I'm genuine and I want to be your friend and like yeah. and us what we were missing all these years. Agreed, agreed. Yeah, and I th- I think that there's the awareness. I love that and the freedom in all of its meanings, mm-hmm. right? Like. You're not hungry, therefore, you you have the you have the freedom to eat, like to have. If you do not have food insecurity. Put it that way. Right. So that means you are not hungry for something else that you have to then go literally forage for or grab for. And I'm I'm being honest. You know, like when you when you have certain freedom from certain things, you have maybe there there's just a better opportunity to yeah. to cultivate this love inside. Yeah, and, you know. Yeah, um, I think so. It's that nature versus nurture, I think, type thing that tends yeah. to come up a lot where some people can, it, it can be taught, but I think others, because you think about individuals who were raised in the same homes with others, like, you know, maybe me and my brother, same, same set of circumstances, same teachers. Yes. And one might be that open, okay. authentic. And the other one is just like, you know, <laughs> who, who <raised> you? <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> I have two brothers. <laughs> no, yeah. Great. Yes. I mean, my, my brothers are great too. You know, shout out to yeah. the brothers. <laughs> shout out to the brothers. We love you. <laughs> uh, but yeah, love but it. definitely something to think about. And I do love these conversations where we're able to kind of peel the onion layers and really kind of sit back and reflect on how, how we you know, become the way that we become and why, you know, I love that. So yeah, deep, very deep, very deep. And speaking about deep, I noticed with your books, as you know, the, the, the Harlem theme, right. It seems like you have this love for, for jazz, for vintage, for glamour, all of these things from like the 1940s era, right. Like in Harlem 1940s. So I kind of want to know what draws you to this particular time and place and how did you research the historical context for your books? Because the 1940s was a very long time ago. I don't think, you know, (laughs) I don't, very long time ago, we weren't alive. And, you know, and then when we're talking about black, what black people were like during that time, I feel like that research had to be intense. So like talk to us about that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So my, my literal love of vintage comes from my mom. So my mom and I would, you know, cuddle up in blankets and watch vintage movies. We still do. 
So it, it definitely came from her. Now, within that, to me, and again, what I'll say what I was going to say. So when I watch those people in their hats and their gloves and their pearls and like walking down the street like this, and you're like, oh my goodness. And to me, the sophistication and oh, my grandma. So my grandma was a church person. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there was the, you have to have this pride and you, she carried herself with this energy of sophistication. And so, um, oh my goodness, you know, you how you're trying to please your grandma. So yeah. I, I knew I needed to be a sophisticated person. I was not allowed not to be. So I realized that there's this synergy or this connection between sophistication and the forties. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Ooh, that's what's there. That that's how they were living. Now we know there's propaganda. Like we know that these movies, we know everybody didn't act like that, but right. I'm just going to say, that's what I took from 1940s. So <laughs> I, I love the sophistication that's presented to us from that era. And I love that in storytelling, um, even if you listen to the music, like Cole, Cole Porter and stuff there, they don't say, they don't say she's got this and it's going in there and this is what's happening. You know, there's innuendo. Mm-hmm. And with innuendo, I think comes talent and using your words to say something without saying it. And I love the mystery of that. I love the puzzle of it. And the forties gave me that world and gave me the permission to be, to use those type of, 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 of skills I'll say. So, and I just love it. And the research, oh my goodness. I had my grandma, thankfully grandma uh, white, Alberta white is alive and with us. So for one particular thing, I had a, I wanted the character to drop her purse and like scramble for what was in it. Mm-hmm. And I had to think, I had to like, oh my gosh, what were, what, what were women, what did they have in their purse? So I had called grandma and she's like, you didn't have anything. You didn't know nothing. So she said, you might've had a comb and a dime for the, for the, um, for the phone or something like that. And I thought, oh my gosh, you know, like there were no keys. There were no mm-hmm. uh, driver's license. Right. No wallets. No wallets. So it was, it would, you get a lipstick, a dime and a comb. <laughs> So, but that was going when I could going to the source, like grandma read a lot. Um, just tried to keep finding, watched a lot because I watched movies. I watched it for details. Mm-hmm. Like, um, and how are they carrying the purse? Well, they're carrying a purse that way because it was lighter, you know, things like that. But otherwise 100% um, online reading everything I could going to like ancestry.com and reading the newspapers, mm-hmm. um, things that I could find just to see what was really really happening. So this is like real, like research, real thought process that went into this book to make it as accurate as possible. I tried. Absolutely. It's important, you know, because that's the other part with the forties is we have an idea of what it is Mm -hmm. because that's when that's what has been shown to us, but how was it really? So I've tried my best along with it is fiction. So yeah. I want to give myself that space. There's there's room to create what you want, but um, from fabric to um, portraits, like whatever I I showed, I really tried. I would research and like what what fabric was being used at that time because it's wartime as well. So there's little things like ever, there weren't certain fabrics being used because that fabric was being used for the war. Um, so yeah, without getting into details, I just made sure that I I knew what was going on. 
and I didn't say something weirdo that was not factually correct. Right. It's funny, as you're talking about the purse, and I was thinking about my grandmother, she's no longer here, but she was born in 1918. And now I'm like, is this why the purse really never had anything going on in there? Like, like even as it, as, as she got older and there was more opportunity to fill up the purse, the purse was so very light. (laughs) So very light. Isn't that fantastic? I mean, Oh my gosh. And you can see why they're so small and so thin. Cause what are you putting in there? Right now? I mean, if I'm going to like a gala or an event, like it's a struggle because everything has to fit into this purse. <laughs> so it's a bulging little purse, like busting at the seams. <laughs> That's so funny. And I, I collect vintage purses. Some of them don't even fit your cell phone. So I can't right. even use it. It's, it's, it's pretty bad. Yeah. I have some of those purses too, that are cute. cute. But they're not functional. Not functional for today. (laughs) Insane. (laughs) Love it. So, you know, as you're talking about the 1940s, I I am always, I'm very curious, what were Black women doing in the 1940s? (sighs) Outside of being jazz lounge singers. I know, right? (laughs) Well, first of all, I'm going to say everything. I feel like we were doing everything. Now, have I looked at every single woman? No, but we were... We're living, you know, mm-hmm. we had businesses, we were cooking, we were sewing, we were like, I feel like we were, so many women were entrepreneurs and head of households and um, for whatever reasons, or or come you know, like two households, we have to bring in the money. So we're, we're working, we're doing stuff. We're not just smoking cigarettes at the lounge, you know? Um, but yeah, to me, it's like, I, the best way to say it is we were doing everything. I think we were everything. We, we were, we were part of society, Mm -hmm. right? Like we were a part of society and we weren't just in the house or just on the, I'm talking about Harlem, you know, just on the stoop or, or, or like the, the world being so small and you're only in the kitchen. We were, we were out there doing stuff. And also, you know, we have the, especially with Harlem, this concept of it being its own community. Right. So there were more there to me, there were more opportunities where people were business owners and, and doing businesses out of the house and all that kind of stuff where it was this insulated thing where there were opportunities to actually contribute to society. Right. Right. I love that. Yeah. Okay. And so, you know, this question is really kind of focused on like your writing and um, aspiring writers, right? You being a writer, being in the game for so long. Um, So for aspiring writers, could you share your experience finding the confidence um, to write and, you know, and, and really cope? kind of go through this process of publishing, um, getting an agent, you know, like this right now, I think we're in an age where everybody wants to write a book because there's this uh, saying that everybody has at least one book in them. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so people are starting to really say, Hey, well, I have something to say and I want to write a book, but the process could be so daunting and, you know, there's self-publishing, there's getting an agent. And I think when we were talking, um, offline, you know, there, uh, a friend of mine was like, oh, you know, I want to be paid. (laughs) So, you know, how do I get paid to write a book? How, how, how can they find me and say, I I'm going to pay you. Here's the advance. Cause we watch all these movies that talk about an advance to write a book. And we're like, (laughs) well, how do I get an advance to write a book? So (laughs) it's not even a thing, you know, like, so talk to us about 
your process and even navigating this space um, just so that those who are aspiring writers, Mm -hmm. uh, whether that's a career they're looking for or just this one-off opportunity, um, just to kind of get a real flavor of what it's like. Yeah, that question is intense and it's exciting. So I will answer it by talking about my journey just a little bit. So um, I had a journal when I was 10 that my mom gave me and I started writing poetry then. So I think I'm going to start there because I think just having a place to write gave me confidence to write, if that makes Mm. sense. And I had control of my words and I knew that what I was writing was mine and therefore um, kind of good enough in a way. It, it, It wasn't that I was... There, there was, there was no compare. I didn't have to compare to anyone. So in those moments, I knew I could just get the words down, and that's important for new writers or people thinking about writing because you start at the end. You start thinking, oh, who's going to pay me? Who's going to do all these things? But it's at the beginning. It's having the knowing that those words, whether they're good or bad, are yours, and that's where you start. So that's that. Those are the first things I wrote. And then as I started getting into the book, the condensed story of that is that it's difficult. Right. It's difficult to get published. And it's difficult because there are so many ways to do it. And because we have these ideas of how we want to do it. Now, I'm going to contract that a little bit because my first book was published fairly easily because I was in the right place at the right time um, with communicating with a publisher. And that person liked my work and published the first book. The second book took 10 years and I do not have an agent. I um, I am publishing with my friend who has a, his own publishing company. So I'm not self-published, but the, you know, it's an independent publisher. And I will tell you, I, and I tell mm-hmm. him too, his name is Nate Regolia for from space boy books. And I wanted, I tell him like, I wanted the New York times. I want, like, I still want all that stuff because I believe that I deserve it. And I know that my words are good. And it's not a, but it's an, and the industry is different. You know, it's Mm. the industry is mm, this question. It, 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 it's something because um, I like to come from a place of positivity and, and, you know, you can do whatever you want and the, the world is yours. And then there's also a feeling of like, okay, when you are not getting what you want, then how are you going to pivot and get what you want? So I was querying agents. I wasn't getting any responses. And the year was just going by, going by. It already took me the 10 years to write this. And I I don't want to wait anymore. So I'm going to find a way to take control and possession and feel empowered in this process instead of feeling not empowered, which I do not like. And I switched and I'm like, I went to my friend, I asked, I pitched the book to him. I asked him if he'd be interested in, in, in uh, publishing it. And he likes my work. And he said, yes. And I think that is the, the nugget of all this is there, just like you said, there are multiple ways, multiple ways to, to um, navigate publishing and getting your words out there. You have to do what works best for you. And if that is self-publishing is if it's printing it, I swear to goodness, if it's printing it and 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 being out at fairs and and just putting the book out, I mean, with a staple piece of paper, and I'm not joking, then then that's a way too. So, mm. you know, ultimately, my message about all of this is finding what works for you, um, keeping your goals 
high and 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 sight, but understanding what this business is, and then figuring out how you want to fit in it. Well, yeah, and I'll say on that last thing, what I what I hope will came came through is um, in order for people to be an author, I have to, they should choose the path that is right for them. Mm. Yeah, I think that's really critical because I feel like a lot of times, again, people, they just, I think people are obsessed with this idea of just being um, an author, right? Like a published author. And so they're not necessarily thinking about what that means and how, I guess, their work will translate if they end up in a path that's not theirs. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, man. Okay. So Pepper, this was such an amazing conversation. I feel like it was just so full of joy, so full of of energy. Yeah, I loved it. I think, you know, I am excited to to read your latest book. Um, Looking forward for that. It's coming out on March 23rd. And so tell us a little bit about where we can um, access your works, you know, your, your, your first book, Harlem's Awakening, and then um, Harlem's Last Dance as it comes out on uh, March 23rd. And then where we could learn more about you, like Instagram, websites, give us yeah. everything. All the fun stuff. Yes. Okay. So um, if you could, please get the book with my publisher. The publisher is called Space Boy Books and the website is Read Space Boy Books. And you will find my book there, my two books and um, other authors that you can discover. And if that's not accessible or, or something you don't want to do, you can uh, find it on Barnes and Noble and Amazon and, um, for example, uh, I know that there's a local bookstore in Los Angeles called Vromans, V-R-O-M-A-N-S. You can get it there. And as time goes on, my goal will be to hit up as many small bookstores as I can. So to that end, you can ask your bookstore, your local bookstore, please, to request the book. And then, you know, they can get it in the area. So that's something that you can do to support small press and, 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 uh, you know, smaller entities like myself and space boy. And, uh, for me, you can find me, um, Instagram and Twitter. I am at pepper, the hot one and (laughs) pepper is P E P P U R. So pepper, the hot one which makes me very happy. And my website is pepperchambers.com, P-E-P-P-U-R chambers, C-H-A-M-B-E-R-S.com. And my blog, which I would love if you would read it, and it's nonfiction, so you can kind of get an insight into more of my brain. And that is penandpepper.com. So P-E-N-A-N-D-P-E-P-P-U-R.com. So those are my favorite places to be found. And uh, yeah. I love it. it. Yeah. And I I love that you kind of took us through how we can request books because I I didn't know that. And I was always wondering like, how do, you know, local bookstores know about up and coming authors and how do they obtain their books? So I think that's so critical for those of us who are tuning in as we do oftentimes have authors on this show you know, one way we can support is by getting their books into the, our local bookstores. So thank you for telling us that that's a thing. (laughs) Oh man. So Pepper, again, thank you so much. I feel like your insight, um, it was, it was, it was just, it was just such a, like a delight. I love that word. A delight. Great word. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good word. It's a good word. It's fun. It feels good. 
Right. And I think that people will feel like this was a lighthearted yet important conversation because we talked about the themes of your book and how they kind of play out in society. And, you know, I think we learned a lot on this show too. And so I'm hoping that everybody goes out and they purchase the book. Um, Harlem's Last Dance, March 23rd is when it's coming out. So Either by the time that you guys tune into this, it probably will already be out. And if not, you know, we'll have the links in the bio. So hopefully you guys will continue to support all of our authors, but definitely purchase this book. And then hopefully we can get some feedback, you know, find yeah. out what did you guys think about? Yeah. This? <laughs> Hit me up. I want to know. Good, bad, we or love ugly. The feedback. Yeah, we love the feedback. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so this has been a really great show. I would love to have you back on here to talk about some of the other things that's going on. And we didn't get into that. What what else do you have going on? Like oh what my gosh. else is in the pipeline, Pepper? I know. <laughs> I'm writing a, a, a one woman show for a, a um an entity here in Chandler, Arizona. That's happening. Oh, oh, I have a, sh- a short film that I wrote and directed that's on Tubi, T-U-B-I dot com. Okay. And that's about social justice and about a, a, a woman who's um, another abduction, a woman who's kidnapped by a, a white supremacist. And um, it's called Do Something. So mm-hmm. that film is called Do Something. And you can find that on Tubi dot com. It's uh, we got distribution there. So that's yeah. something. Yeah. And then otherwise writing all the time. Got to keep writing. Got to write. I really have to start writing the third book now. <laughs> it, it sounds like it could be nerve wracking, but we know you can do it because you already did too. <laughs> all right. Well, we are definitely, you know, excited for all of the good things that you have coming up. And so, we'll, you know, we'll be keeping our, our fingers and our noses, you know, uh, all up in the business so we can know what's going on. Um but everyone, thank you so much for tuning into another episode of According to RP on WJMS Media, powered by Black Ivy Media. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Black Ivy Media. Follow us on YouTube so you guys can see this, this interesting video that we put together. <laughs> Bloopers and all. <laughs> I love it. You go, man. Look, I love your branding. I love everything you're doing. Congratulations. I just want to tell you that. Congratulations. Yeah, it's definitely a labor of love. We're out here trying, but you know what? You know, we keep pushing, right? That's That's right. Keep pushing. Keep doing it. Yeah. (laughs) All right, everyone. So we will talk to you guys next week. Okay. Bye. Thank you. (laughs) Bye. You were listening to According to RP on WJMS Radio. About time you tuned in. Tune in each and every Sunday. Can't wait to come back.